Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for that reminder this morning that indeed we do need you. That every hour, every minute of the day, every second that we take breath, we need you. Lord, we thank you that you indeed answer that call, that cry from us, God. That in our need and in our time of need, Lord, that you answer and that you are there. We're just grateful for who you are, for what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for this church, for this place that we can come to worship you, to be encouraged and challenged, to become more like you. We thank you for this community of faith that you have given us, Lord, to steward and to serve. Lord, we thank you also for our partnerships with our other churches, with Conestoga, and Peckway, Lord, we thank you for the good work that we've seen you do in those congregations and in those communities. And Lord, we, we just come before you today just praying for them as they continue to grow and continue to seek after you, Lord. Uh, we pray especially for uh, Conestoga, for their discipleship ministries, for men and women that launched recently. Lord, we just pray for uh, relationships to be formed, for fellowship to, to occur, and for faith to be increased. Lord, we just pray that you would work through those ministries to impact men and women in that area. And Lord, we pray especially also for this afternoon for their congregational meeting as they meet to decide uh, on a new proposal to to renovate the basement and to provide a children's area and um, opportunities for other ministry. Lord, we pray that you would give them unity of spirit and mind as they make that decision. And Lord, that your will would be done. And Father, we also thank you for for Peckway Church. We thank you for 145 years of ministry that you have done in that congregation, in that community. Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness for that time. Lord, we know that you see uh, both behind and before, uh, and you see our timeline as as no other. And God, we are just thankful for your faithfulness in that. Lord, we thank you for the JARS mission trip team as they are currently headed to North Carolina. Lord, we just we thank you so much for each one of those men who have given their week to serve you and to serve the JARS uh, facility. Uh, Lord, we pray for safety in their travel, safety on the work site. Lord, we pray that as they uh, continue to, to do work each day, God, just give them energy uh, to, to do the work that you have for them, Lord, and help them to be a blessing as they have been blessed. And Lord, right now, as we turn towards your word, we just thank you so much for all that you have taught us and showed us in the book of Ecclesiastes, Lord. We thank you for the way that you've spoken through through Mike and Paul uh, as they have brought these messages to us each week. Lord, we pray uh, that you would just speak through Mike this, this morning. 
to our hearts and to our minds that we would be challenged to be more like you. And Father, we know that there is a time for everything as we see in the passage for today. And Lord, uh, I know that many of us find ourselves in different times, some in joy and some in sorrow, some in difficulty, some in, in maybe hopelessness. Lord, we know that you are near. Father, we just pray that whatever moment we find ourselves in, that you would just help us to trust you and to praise you in the midst of it. We know that no matter our circumstances, that you are good. Help us to trust in the promises that you have for us. And Lord, we just thank you again for who you are, for what you have done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor Kevin. I invite you today, if you have your Bibles with you or your devices, I encourage you to bring your Bibles, but also to open right now to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We are coming to the end of our six-week study in the book of Ecclesiastes, and just a reminder that we did not intend to exposit or to study every single verse in Ecclesiastes, but rather to study topics, six major topics, to give you some tools to use in your own personal study and understanding of the book of Ecclesiastes. And today, we come to the end of that study. Then next week, we're going to launch a five-part series entitled Dear Church. What is this thing? Uh, this is the church, but what does Jesus have to say about the church and to the church? And so, really, uh, looking at what Jesus has written in the Word of God, dear church, this is what I want you to be. And we're going to exposit different sections, that is, exposit meaning uh, take apart verses and understand them and grow through them. We're going to do that all through the New Testament. Next week, I'll be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 better known by many as the passage on what it means to be a husband and wife, but it's a passage on what the church is as well. So we're going to study that next week as we come together in worship. And then, and then as we move into the Advent season, we'll be uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 throughout the entire Advent season and allow that passage to inspire us into other portions of God's Word to understand the truth, the truth about God's love, the culture has spun that truth out of control. We need to look at what the Word of God teaches. And actually, many of us have only heard 1 Corinthians 13 largely read at weddings. But what is it that God wants to teach us in that chapter? And we're going to be doing that in the series on the Advent here at Grace Community. So it's good to be with you today and good to open the Word of God to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Did you know that Every one of us have 31,536,000 seconds available to us every year for our personal use. That breaks down into 525,600 minutes, 8,760 hours, or 365 days. So the question today is how are you using your time? Or better yet, how well are you using your time? Wheaton College President Philip Ryken, reflecting on Ecclesiastes chapter 13, has written that the way we spend our time is the way we spend our lives. Which brings us to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. This chapter is arguably the best-known portion of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. If you Google Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 
you will find enough wall hangings from your home that every inch of every room in your home will have an Ecclesiastes 3 wall hanging. Everybody loves there is a time for everything. They may not understand it, but everybody loves that there is a time for everything. And this is how Ecclesiastes opens. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. This weekend, as we unpack this truth, I want us to first remember that Jesus Christ is Lord of time and that he is the Lord of our time. Solomon is deeply interested in finding meaning and purpose for life. And one of the things that he has settled on in Ecclesiastes 3 is that the way we use our time determines the direction of our lives. Such a powerful teaching here in Ecclesiastes 3. So I invite you to first look at with me Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. These first eight verses are written in the form of a Hebrew poem. And I'll read them to you, and you've heard them before, but listen again with fresh and, and a new ear. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This is a description of what God has deliberately planned for our lives, as he says, under heaven. Now that's an interesting phrase because all through Ecclesiastes, he's talking about life under the sun. But here he talks about life under heaven. Both under the sun and under heaven refers to life on this earth. But what is really important for you to understand is that life under heaven also refers to life under the rule, the reign, the authority of God. And so this is what he wants us to understand, Solomon, that is, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, that we all live under the rule and the reign of God and that our time is under his authority. I love how Philip Ryken puts this. God rules over all our moments and all of our days, and there is a definite orderliness to what he does. His sovereignty has a chronology, and there is a season for everything. And so this poem begins with the very famous, a time to be born and a time to die. You realize that these are the bookends of life and that everything else that's written in Ecclesiastes verses 1 through 8, the other 13 lines fall somewhere in between the bookends of being born and dying, that every one of us will experience birth and every one of us will experience death. And then he begins to mention all the other times of our lives. Now, some of the other times are easy to understand, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to keep and a time to throw away. Some of us get convicted when we read that because we're currently in the keeping time and not yet in the throwing away time. Some of us have wives that remind us, or one of us has a wife that reminds me of that. 
a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time for war and a time for peace. When I read that this week, I thought, if we were to speak to Ukrainians today in Ukraine, they would tell us that they never really wanted a time for war, and they are longing for a time for peace. Now, some of the times that are in verses 1 through 8 made sense 3,000 years ago, and we really have trouble understanding what they mean today. For example, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. Now listen, when you, when you interpret these phrases, you have to interpret them together. So what in the world does that mean? Most Bible scholars are led to think that this is a reference to an ancient military practice that if you wanted to slow down your enemy, you threw rocks onto the battlefield and that would slow them down or actually stop their advance into your territory. Then after they retreated, you would gather the stones so that you could advance toward the enemy territory. 3,000 years ago, it made perfect sense to the original hearers. We have to do a little historical work in order to understand it. Some of the times that are mentioned here reflect the agricultural lifestyle of Solomon's day. Look, at, you, look if you would, at verses 2 and 3, where Solomon writes, there's a time to plant and a time to uproot, that is, to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. Now, some of you here have been farmers, farmers all your life, so follow me on this. Those three lines relate to the agricultural economy of Solomon's day. There's a time to plant. Yeah, okay, that's right. And a time to uproot or to harvest. We understand that. There is a time to heal and a time to kill. Now, when you get to that line, there are some Bible scholars who say, well, that's all about capital punishment. Well, then what does healing mean? It isn't about capital punishment. It actually is linked to the line before, the time to plant and a time to uproot, but also on farms, there are cows, there are horses. In Solomon's day, there are treasured sheep and treasured goats. There's a time when your prized animal gets sick and you do your best to bring healing to that animal. Let's say you have a horse, you want that animal to heal, but you get to the point where the animal may be in such suffering that nothing can be done to help it and though you don't want to do this, you have to put it down or kill it. There's a time to heal and a time to kill. Jesus himself said, if you look at the third line, that there's a time when you might have to tear down your barn and build another one. And so they are agricultural phrases embedded in Ecclesiastes 3. Now, most of the times that Solomon talks about actually have multiple meanings. For example, a time to search and a time to give up. In the original day, it meant a time to search for your lost sheep, and then if you can't find your lost sheep after a period of time, you might have to give up because you have to care for the other sheep. So how do you apply that today? Well, if you're not a shepherd, you can say, there's a time to look for a new house and a time to say, you know, this might not be the best time to look for a new house. There's a time to look for a new direction in life or a new job or a new promotion, and there's a time to simply say, you know, this might not be the best time. Solomon also writes there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain. Now, what, what does that refer to? It refers to relationships, that there's a time in our lives to embrace new relationships and friendships that are nurturing to us, but there's also a time to recognize that some relationships could be toxic in your life, and so you refrain from them 
or you sever them. And then Solomon writes, there's a time to love and a time to hate. Now, Christians generally reel back from the word hate because we don't want to hate, and yet there are things that God hates. Proverbs chapter 6 has a whole list of the things that God hates, seven of them, but there are things that I hate too. You know, one of the things that I love is on Sunday morning, going back and watching all the families coming in with their children and realizing that moms and dads have a desire to nurture their children and help their children grow in Christ. One of the things I hate is when I read the newspaper about parents who abuse their children, and that just so upsets me, and I hate the idea that any child would be abused. There is a time to love, and there is a time to hate. By God's design, there is an appropriate time for everything in our lives. And here's what you need to understand. God oversees all of these times. He oversees all the times of our lives. You know what we call that? We call that God's sovereignty and God's providence. God's sovereignty means that there is nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority. God is in control. Can you say that with me? God is in control. Do you believe that? And the sovereignty of God, that there is absolutely nothing that happens in the universe, and bring it right down to your life that is outside of his influence, outside of his authority, God is in control. God's providence means that he cares for us. He provides for us. He guides us through life. I often talk about the providential care of God. It means in a sentence, he is for us. Say that with me. He is for us. And that is the sovereignty and the providence of God. Now, those two truths about who God is should cause two responses in our lives, two very powerful responses that every one of us should be making to the truth about who God is. And the very first one is we should be humbled to know that God actively cares about all the times of our lives. We should be humbled to know that. I love to say, and I believe it with all my heart, that God cares about you, Caitlin, as if you are the only person to care about in this world, and he cares about every one of us in the same way. He looks us in the eye, Vaughn, and he knows what we need. He loves us as if, Mike, there is no one else to love, and yet you and I both know he loves everybody that way. This is the incredible truth about the providential care of God. No one ever cared for me like There's a portion of Psalm 121 that means so much to me. Verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 121. He watches over my life, both my coming and my going, both now and forevermore. My goodness, that's everything. My coming, my going, now and for eternity. I'm humbled by that. But I'm also, as response to his sovereignty and his providence, I'm confident to know that whatever time I'm in in life, come what may in life, God is still in control. And I can rest in him whether life is good, bad, or ugly. He is still in control. God is sovereign. God's providence carries me. I'm humbled by that. I have confidence in it. Now, 
if God has a time for everything, verses one through eight, God also has some principles for living that absolutely are set down in stone. And, and in verses nine through 11, Solomon unpacks some of those. Look again at what the word of God says, verses nine through 11. Solomon writes, what do workers gain from their toil? Once again, Solomon's back on, what is the point of life? I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. What is the point of life, Solomon says? What do you gain from all this hard work? Isn't it just a burden at the end? Isn't the goal in life to get through the bad times to celebrate the good times? And as he thought about that, he realized that there are some principles in life that you cannot miss as you live your life because they will bring meaning and purpose where you have struggled to find meaning and purpose. And the very first principle is this. This is what he says. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Hear me when I say this. Good, bad, and ugly. Every one of us have had those experiences in our lives. Every one of us have had negative experiences in our lives that we have struggled with mightily. And I want to say something to you. You have a choice. When the bad and the ugly come, you can push back against it. You can try to handle life on your own terms and your own power. You can resist it. You become angry at it. And if you do, you will grow bitter because of it. Or you can embrace every time of your life, good, bad, or ugly, and surrender it all back to Jesus and simply say, I don't understand it now, but this I do know. You are sovereign, and you care for me. Jenny and I were having a conversation this week about young pastors and their churches because I had had a <clears throat> phone call from a young pastor is struggling in his church. And that happens occasionally. And, and so I was sharing uh, that with her, and, and she said, you remember what it was like in our early years in ministry. And I said, oh, yeah. She said, that's why you are who you are today. See, when we first went into ministry, we were assigned to go to Baltimore to plant a church. And uh, some of you know this story. Um, it wasn't a true church plan, it was a restart, and we had a building and we had 18 people. And we learned soon after we arrived there that two-thirds of the 18 people didn't want us there. And for 18 months, they made that abundantly clear to us. Churches and church people can be very mean if they want to be. Uh, we've not experienced that here at Grace Community in 27 years. It's been a beautiful ministry for both Will and me. But um, there's a high dropout rate among young pastors because of how mean churches can be. And Jenny and I experienced that in the worst of ways. And it wasn't that we did anything wrong. I bought my shoes at Hanover Shoes. That was a store at that time. And I was considered flaunting my wealth. I, they just felt good on my feet. That's the only reason I bought them there. But nobody asked me that question. And there was a host of other things, including the fact that we bought new hindles and I was a spendthrift, and on and on it went. 
about a year into that ministry, when I was thinking that maybe that would be the last year of my ministry ever, they told me, this group of people, all led by a patriarch, that they would stop giving to the church. And then, on the third Sunday of January, 1987, on the way out of church, the patriarch said to me, this is our last Sunday at, Grace, at Rosedale Community Church. What will you do without us? <clears throat> Everything in me wanted to say, we're going to have a party at 3 o'clock, I'll bake the cake, let's bring wings. I mean, wings weren't even a thing then, but I mean, let's just have a party. We were averaging 35 people at that time. At that point, they had increased in number, that group of people who were upset like rabbits, they increased, and we were at 17 of them, and they left that Sunday. And the next Sunday, we had 35 people in church. And from that point on, the church grew like wildfire, and God blessed us. God blessed us. Jenny said, you are the pastor you are today because of that. And that is true. It really ruined me for a period of time. It took me a couple years to be able to work through all the wounds that came at the hands of church people who didn't get what they wanted, but didn't ask God what he wanted. And I almost left the ministry. And I look back on that now, 36 years, and I say, thanks be to God that I didn't leave the ministry, that I turned to you, Jesus, and said, this is bad and this is ugly, but can you use it to make me a better pastor? And today, I'm the pastor I am, not because of the high points of ministry, but because of the low points of ministry and what God did. Listen, listen, that's true for every one of us. The good, the bad, the ugly. He wants to make it beautiful in its time and in your life. Secondly, Solomon says this, God has also set eternity in our hearts. This is a great truth. Every one of us are made with a longing for something more than what we have right here. Every one of us want a home beyond this home. Every one of us will find that home satisfied in Jesus Christ alone. And someday in heaven alone. Second Corinthians chapter five, the word of God actually says we are made to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. We have eternity in our hearts. I love how St. Augustine wrote, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Surrender your good, your bad, your ugly to Jesus. Realize as you live your life that you were not made just for this earth. You were made for eternity, that you're passing through. What happens here happens, yes, but it's not the end. There's something greater coming, amen, Rick? Something greater coming. Then Solomon says, look at verse 11, that we cannot always see the whole scope of God's work in our world or in our lives. I have to tell you something. When that was going on back in 86, 87, and then the residual effect in 88, 89, I couldn't see what God was doing in me. Jenny could see it, and she kept saying, hang on, and I did. I could not see it, 
And I'm grateful that she could. But there are a lot of things in life that we can't see. You might be praying for a son or a daughter right now that's walking away from the Lord or never came to the Lord. And you might be so discouraged because you absolutely cannot see any indication that they're moving in the direction of Jesus. Can I just say to you, you don't know their heart. You cannot see what God is doing inside of them. I, I mean, people come to Christ in my ministry, and I've said, whoa, where'd that come from? And then Jesus reminds me, I prayed for it. Oh, yeah, that's right, I did. When, I, when, when you pray, Mike, I do work, you might not be able to see it. Oh, yeah, that's right. The American church was all up in arms in 1949 when the communists cast out all the missionaries in China. Oh, my goodness, what will happen to the church in China? There are only a million believers, they'll die. Do you know what happened? When China opened again to missionaries, there were tens of millions of Christians in China. God does work we cannot see and cannot always understand. I'm so grateful that he is sovereign and that he is providentially caring for every one of us. So then what do we do while we're on this earth? Well, look at what Solomon says in verses 12 through 13. He writes, so I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Simply put, surrender your life to God through his son Jesus Christ and then live. Each day is a gift, as we learned a few weeks ago. Take that gift and live it to its fullest once you've surrendered your life to Jesus, eat, drink, enjoy the fruits of your labor. When the good times are here, celebrate them. When the bad times are here, give them to Jesus. When the ugly times are here, trust him that even in the darkness, his light is still shining in your life. Solomon then concludes this section, look at verses 14 and 15, with a few more thoughts about God. And this is what he writes. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him, will trust him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account this is what that means. There is nothing that happens in your life that is a surprise to God. You might be surprised by it. You might wonder where it came from, but God isn't a bit surprised by it. And so when the good comes, the bad comes, the ugly comes, don't like, oh my goodness, God, what are we, I mean, were you aware of this? And God is saying, yes, I know all about it, and I have a plan to use it in your life. Trust me, surrender to me, follow me. Let me use every circumstance, every time of your life to shape and mold you into the man or the woman I want you to be. Trust me to make something beautiful of your life. Ecclesiastes chapter three is full of truth about God. As Christians, we know that Jesus is Lord in time and Lord over our time. We also know that every one of us have 31,536,000 seconds every year to use. We have every one of us 525,600 minutes, 8,760 hours, 365 days. The question is, how well are you using the time that God has given you? In his outstanding book on Ecclesiastes, the message of Ecclesiastes 
The Gospel in Ecclesiastes, Why Everything Matters, by Philip Ryken. He gives us three applications, three ways to respond to Ecclesiastes 3. Now, one way to respond is you could go home and Google Ecclesiastes 3 and order a plaque for your wall. I mean, yes, you could do that. But let me tell you three very life-transforming ways you can apply this truth. They come directly from Philip Ryken. They are not Mike Sigmund, although I did add some of me into them. Number one, wait for God's time. Wait for God's time. In Psalm 31, David cries out to God, and he's in the midst of a really difficult time in his life. He's struggling. He's struggling with God. And this is what he writes. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. I want to ask you today, as you wrestle with the good, the bad, the ugly times of life, as you're wrestling with something right now in your life, whatever that time is, have you surrendered it to the hands of God? Or are you trying to lead yourself, find your own way, insert your own will? Or are you willing to give it to God and wait for him in his time. So, halfway through my second year of seminary, while serving at an inner city church as a youth pastor in Reading, Pennsylvania, I got to thinking, am I going to be a single pastor when I take my first full-time church in 18 months? Or God, are you going to provide? Are you going to open a door? Are you going to give me a wife? And so, I remember getting down on my knees by my bed, and I remember praying and asking Jesus to please give me a wife who has a calling on her life to be a pastor's wife, and who loves Jesus with all of her heart, loves his word, and has the gifts and graces to be able to serve a lifetime in ministry. It wasn't a lot to ask. I just kind of, <laughs> you know, laid it out there as I thought I should lay it out there. And three months later, in a crisis pregnancy center in Reading, I met my wife. I like to say that, just kind of drop it there. She was the intern, and the director of the center was one of my youth leaders. And I had just been to Israel for a month to study historical geography, and I came home and went to the grocery store, and they had shrimp on sale, and it was on sale, so I bought it, but then I realized I didn't know what to do with the shrimp once I bought it, so I had to go to the crisis pregnancy center to find out what to do with the shrimp. So I went to the crisis pregnancy center, walked in, was going to ask Ruth what to do with the shrimp, and there was the intern at the front desk. And I was smitten. <laughs> Called her and invited her on a date. And within four months, we were engaged to be married. And 12 months after that, we were married. She was from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
had barely known anybody from New Holland. I, <laughs> Ephrata was a reach, you know. So, <laughs> good night, New Jersey. <laughs> True story, I came home, I told my grandfather about Jenny, and I said, she's from New Jersey. And he said, well, can't you find anybody in Lancaster County? <laughs> and I said, God provided her. <laughs> well, then he didn't have an answer to that, so God did provide her. And I am so grateful to the Lord for a wife who is a helpmate in ministry and who loves Jesus as I do. Wait for God's time. Ask him for what you need and then wait for his time. Secondly, Philip Ryken writes, live your whole life knowing that there is a time for you to die. The Bible says it is appointed unto men and women once to die and after that comes judgment. We will all die. That is not profound. That is true. The question today is, are you ready? Are you ready are you ready for your appointed time to die? On September 8th in the afternoon, I went over to Ironville to visit one of our shut-in members who is a charter member of our church, Bill Kohler. He was under hospice care. He wanted communion. I wanted to see him. I took communion over. We celebrated communion together. I read scripture, prayed, and after prayer, I had my phone on the table next to me on the right. I saw my phone lit up. And I said, oh my goodness, Bill, Queen Elizabeth just died. How old was she? 96. Well, I'm 96. Tell Jesus I'm ready to go too. <laughs> I said, let's do that right now. We went to prayer, and this is what I prayed. Jesus, Bill is 96 as Queen Elizabeth was. He's ready to go. Could you take him? I did. I mean, earlier he wanted me to pray that he would live beyond the 30th of the month so that the Social Security check wouldn't have to be returned. So we had prayed that. And, and he did live beyond that. So now we were, I thought, why? God answered that prayer. Let's see what, you know. Bill went to be with the Lord, and on Tuesday we celebrated his home going here in a beautiful service, at which Alyssa sang, No one ever cared for me like Jesus. On Friday night, the oldest church member of our church went home to be with Jesus, a hundred and a half, charter member June Thomas. On Thursday afternoon, Pastor Jarrett was with her, and she said, Pastor Jarrett, I'm ready. I want Jesus to take me now. It's appointed unto every one of us to die. Are you ready? Thirdly, Philip Ryken, and finally, says this. Make good use of whatever time you have. I don't know about you, but I can waste a lot of time. I hate that my phone tells me how much screen time I've had. You know, how about you? Right? Make the best use of the time that you have. When I was a little kid, I learned in Sunday school that joy is Jesus, others, you. Unfortunately, in the culture, we have more yuzh than we do joy because it's Y-O-J, yuzh. You, then others, and if there's time, Jesus. If you want to know how to make the best use of your time, make Jesus your first priority. Give him the time in word and in prayer. Love him with all your heart. Then 
your husband, your wife, your children, your grandkids, your family, and others. And if you do that, he will always providentially care for you. What time is it? It's time to obey, to do what God calls us to do, to surrender our lives to Jesus, to wait upon him for his time to be unfolded in our lives, to be sure that we're ready for the appointed time when we will go home to be with him, and in the meantime, to make the best use of the time that he has given us on this earth. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah and amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Thank you that it's far more than just a plaque on a wall, that it's truth that changes our lives. I want to pray right now for any who are in this sanctuary or online with us who have been pushing and pulling but not surrendering to you on a particular issue in their lives. When all you want them to do is bring it to you, place it in your hands, and wait for your time. My prayer today is that there would be many, many people who would surrender those issues to you and then patiently wait for your time. I also want to pray today for people who are struggling with the ugly and the bad in their lives and who are on the border of becoming bitter that you would do a work in their lives whereby they would surrender that ugly and that bad to you and then trust you fully and completely to make everything beautiful in its time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.